Welcome to Dangerously Likely. I'm Caleb Smith. And I'm Drew Couch. And today we're Dangerously Likely to talk about environmental racism. Let's go above the fold with this week's headlines. With the deadline of this Friday fast approaching, the Biden administration is quickly trying to prevent a freight railroad worker strike that could include tens of thousands of workers and cost billions of dollars in economic damage. Already, some freight companies have begun to limit service, including Amtrak, which operates on a lot of freight railroads with passenger service. Sounds like we're a little derailed. (laughs) The Biden administration... (laughs) is in a weird place because they have fought to protect union rights, but have also fought hard to rebuild America's supply chains, which do rely somewhat on freight freight rail. The situation revolves around two massive labor unions that make up around 115,000 workers in total. They are holding out for better working conditions, which they claim have worsened in recent years. They say that they must stay on call for days at a time, work 12-hour shifts with little notice, and are penalized when they call in sick or like go to the doctor. Terrell, I felt like this issue just kind of randomly popped up a few days ago. <laughs> what do you, do you have a take on this? What is it? Tell me, tell us. <laughs> just put me on the spot. Um, no, I agree. I, I think we're in this interesting phase right now of, if you want to know what's coming in the next or on the next episode of America, look across the pond, essentially, like look at what's happening in the UK, look at what's happening in France. Um, The UK is going through one of its worst cost of living um, crises, if you will, in modern history. And it was spurred by a railway crisis that actually paused for the passing of the queen, which we'll get into a little bit during the international fold. Um, But I think this comes back to conversations you and I have had multiple times, Caleb. Um, We we have not recovered from a pandemic. I don't know how else to word it. We are operating as if everything that has happened for the last two years were just one-offs and they had no direct impact. We're talking about the supply chain, but we're not talking about it in in reference to the um, pandemic any longer. We are talking about the potential recession, but we're not highlighting the fact that the the only reason we could potentially be heading in this route um, is because of a pandemic. So when when the feds are upping interest rates and actively trying to tackle inflation, but telling us all we are fully prepared to cause a recession, um, we can't forget that that impacts those hardworking blue collar Americans like those who are working the railways, railways um, on freights who have just been advocating for a cost of living increase to ensure that this country isn't pricing them out of existence. Um, so I'm not surprised. I'm also hopeful that the administration can tow that line of repairing our supply chain after all of these pieces, but also valuing the workers and ensuring that they feel valued um, in their efforts. Well said, Terrell. I think you're right. I mean, actually, I know you're right. This is another symptom of a pandemic that we never really recovered from. And I'll give the Biden administration credit. They've done 
a, probably a really good job of bolstering our supply chains and trying to make it right. But not only did the pandemic really just mess all of our supply chains up and how goods just flowed across the world economy in general, um, but they also, for a lot of Americans, kind of was a time for them to reorient their priorities. Mm-hmm. And I think this is what's happening here with these unions is they want to make sure that they are being treated right. Basically being treated the way that a lot of other Americans get to be treated when at the workplace. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. So it'll be interesting to see if this is resolved or not. Um, But right now it kind of seems like the uh, railroad companies have some loco motives. Am I right, Terrell? That was probably the worst one you've ever done. I do want to make that clear. <laughs> that was the worst one. That was probably the worst one because that was such a stretch. I some, I've, I've done some really bad ones. Yeah, that was pretty bad. Uh, <laughs> no, I I would just echo your point and I think to just continue to elevate that fact of there are Americans right now who are genuinely being priced out of existence. And before conservative outlets start taking to town either administration for a potential strike or going after these hardworking Americans for um, being quote unquote greedy, like uh, a McDonald's worker or any of the other workers who have been advocating for just $15 an hour, which still isn't enough to afford housing in this country. Um, I really think that's that point that you brought up and, and that we've talked about is an important point of, um, People are fighting to not be priced out of existence. And when you can wrap your head around that, you can begin having productive conversations about how to move forward. Let's check out the international fold. After a small break last week, thank you, Caleb and Torrance. um, Let's continue our coverage on the war in Ukraine. In a blistering effort, Ukrainian forces have regained an estimated 3,400 square miles of territory from Russian forces in both the eastern and southern regions. This blitzing counteroffensive um, has continued to frustrate Moscow as Ukraine liberates cities under their occupation quickly with little combat from the opposition. Photos from the area show civilians welcoming Ukrainian forces with joy and hopefulness of potential success. Um, Even with these advances, however, Russia still holds a vast swath of area in both east and southern Ukraine, with many officials both in Ukraine and globally a little cautious to celebrate at this time out of fear that a massive or major attack from Russia is to come. This has been some big news that has come out. I feel like the the winds are turning towards Ukraine. Caleb, do you have any any takes have you how are you feeling seeing this kind of um rejuvenated force from ukraine russia's a fucking mess we knew that from basically day one look i mean the reports coming out of this offensive is that ukrainian soldiers are basically walking into towns and russian soldiers are literally dropping their weapons and running mm-hmm. like that is some of the reports that we are hearing and while it's probably almost impossible to rule out Russia just yet because Russia does have more resources. You know, they have, it's not, um, they haven't even like gone on like a full, uh, declared a full war yet, which would raise more, um, men and, and 
guns and munitions and really orient the country towards an actual war. They haven't done that. And Ukraine just is smaller than Russia is. That's just the facts. And Russia has, you know, tactical nukes, like God forbid they'll ever use those. Um, It's just, it's interesting because like Ukraine is, Ukraine has an energy and passion to protect their homeland and Russia does not. And this whole thing is just to me, even if Russia comes out victorious to whatever it defines victory for themselves in some way, at the end of the day, like the world now knows that Russia in their military is weak. That's it. Russia is weak. I mean, Ukraine is beating up on them. Like it's kind of like almost pathetic to see it. Yeah. I mean, like Russia was a feared military and now it's not. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's a huge part too because these losses have like shook um, a lot of people globally, specifically Russia, who in a, a very, very rare rebuke, um, President Putin has seen members of his own military calling out and saying that he needs to step down as president. Yikes. Granted, these are low-level military officials. Um, it's very rare to see that kind of response But as you think about international politics, you start recognizing that the relationship between China and Russia is starting to fray a little bit, not in the sense of any kind of collapse, but just a real test of what this um, blank check looks like from China. You have the push to heighten sanctions against Iran because they were supplying drones to Russia. So I think you are really starting to see from a global standpoint um, just what you highlighted, Caleb, Russia doesn't have this superpower status any longer. And the weakening of their military is showing that without other key players, um, they, they can't live up to what they have in the past. Yeah. One other piece on the global perspective, we're also following um, European nations as they are facing a growing energy crisis due to this conflict. Um, Many of them are a little concerned as winter approaches and industries are worrying about rationing um, gas and other power sources, but also just what it means to keep people alive in the region. Germany um, recently came out and highlighted that they would be taking some steps to um, decrease their energy usage for states like Poland and such that are a little bit more dependent on Russian oil. Um, even today in big news, the Eiffel Tower is going dark for a couple hours um, as a means to to conserve energy. We at Dangerous Likely will continue to follow the conflicts taking place in Ukraine and update you as we learn more. Check out our Facebook and Twitter pages for updates throughout the week. Um, other top stories from around the world. Queen Elizabeth II of the United Kingdom passed at the age of 96 on Thursday, making her son, Charles, King Charles III. Right now, her coffin now rests in state in London. The Canadian Prime Minister announced a measure that would double a quarterly tax credit sent to individuals and families with low and modest incomes to offset sales tax and um, around $500 Canadian dollars. One time top up for housing benefits that is provided to low earners who need help with rent in an effort to fight inflation. 
and we'll be right back. And we're back with Dangerously Likely. Due to torrential rain and years of neglect, Jackson, Mississippi's main water treatment facility began to fail about two weeks ago. Because of this failure, over 150,000 people were without clean water, with dirty brown water coming out of their faucets. The National Guard was called in to hand out cases of bottled water. However, they barely brought enough for the people that came to get water running out before they could get through the mile-long lines that formed. So how did this crisis happen? For years, the water system has had problems, and they have not been addressed. It all came to a head this summer when the Pearl River flooded after heavy rains, damaging the water system. In fact, the city was already under a boil water notice since July. Water pressure was restored about a week ago on September 5th, but before then, there wasn't even enough pressure to flush toilets or even enough clean water to brush your teeth. The mayor of Jackson, Chokli Lumumba, has said that the water system issues have gone back decades, and when the EPA deemed them two years ago, the city has largely not been supported in attempting to fix it. There has been several boil water notices due to major climate change-driven storms that have further damaged the system. There is also an abundance of lead in some areas of the system. The mayor estimates it will cost over $2 billion to repair the water system in its entirety. Mississippi is set to receive $429 million from the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act to fix its water and wastewater systems over the next five years, mostly through loans. Some of them are forgivable and grants provided through the Environmental Protection Agency. This year, the Mississippi legislator created a $450 million water infrastructure funding program with money the state received through the congressional COVID relief package that passed in 2021. But the plan requires cities and counties to put up matching dollars, and Jackson only has about $25 million in American Rescue Plan Act funds to commit, according to State Senator John Horn. Applications for that program opened on Thursday, and some of that money could be awarded by the end of the year. Then there also is the concern that this might be systemic and environmental racism that has led the water system to get this bad. The city is a majority black city with black residents making up over 80% of the demographics in large part to white flight that occurred over the past four decades. Many believe that Jackson was looked over when it needed help because of systemic racism. Terrell, what do you think? I guess what's your reaction to this? I mean, obviously, like it kind of, I don't know, like it make it reminds me of like Flint and it goes yeah. without saying that I mean, this, it kind is of, Flint, this kind of stuff should not be happening in America. Correct. And like it is Flint, but shockingly not as bad in a different way. Right. Um, I know this is something that like you, I and Torrance have talked about off air, but I really think there needs to be a shout out to TikTok because I really don't know if this story would be highlighted the way it is if it wasn't for the fact that a couple of creators were talking about the fact that no one was talking about um, Jackson, Mississippi. The same way we had um, issues with Flint where no one was talking about Flint until a young girl started a fundraiser to get clean water to her city and it got picked up by a couple of news outlets. And I, th- I think personally, that's the true tragedy of this. This is an environmental racism issue. This is exactly what advocates and representatives and even some senators have been talking about for years of at the end of the day, climate change will impact all of us, but it will not impact us all equitably. 
and where you're starting to see conversations shift to, well, New York's going to be underwater and all of these places are going to see this. It's hard not to recognize that while people can't care about the future when it is going to impact some more well-off individuals right now in the present, we have low income earners who uh, can't shower and can't go to work, which what does that mean for their their sustainability and their job. We have uh, fast food chains that don't have access to clean water, so they can't put up food and supply food for um, the community, which then directly impacts other earners. So I think this is one of the scariest cases of what environmental impacts can do to a community and to a system, especially when as, um, a TikTok creator highlight high highlighted. It's a community that is actively being ignored because it isn't a part of some political demographic. Um, yeah, I just, there's no good words or there's no good wording. There's nothing to say beyond just the fact that this is a, an unfortunate tragedy that was almost overlooked. I I agree with everything you said. I mean, like, like you, you have people who are in a part of the country that are going, it's just going to happen. They're going to be hit with climate change more than other parts. And like climate change doesn't affect everybody the same way. You know, like, there's people who might be affected by climate change, but can actually, like, they have the resources to get out of that area. There are so many people that don't. Mm-hmm. But, like, we can't, like, we can't expect to neglect a city so badly that the water, like, they don't have clean water to drink anymore. Like, in climate, climate change spurning that on or not, like, this is outrageous. It's outrageous. It was ignored. And it's like the city only has so many resources to do it itself. Where did the state come in at that point? You know, and you you highlighted some quotes um, from Governor Tate uh, Reeves. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, by no means are we going to let the governor off as a, a Trumpian style politician. It is important to note that in a conservative state like Mississippi, that is actively railing against the Biden administration and saying all of the pieces and things that um, this administration is doing is only causing harm and doing damage to people. Even going as far to call the environmental portions of the infrastructure plan that the Biden administration passed no more than the Green New Deal, when right now, because of that specific legislation that passed, you have a state that is looking to receive a massive sum of money, almost half a billion dollars in money that is directly being targeted to fixing waterways and supporting water systems. Yet still you have this governor coming out and saying that um, quote unquote, it looks more like a $2 trillion tax hike to me. So kind of like we were talking about you you have this city that you can't ignore the race of it you can't ignore the fact that in this ruby red um state jackson is a very blue spot they have a democratic mayor and 
the Republicans there have historically and continuously tried to break up Jackson so that those individuals in that county are not being represented. You also have the state that has been the leading charge against abortion rights. All of these pieces, you can just see that at some point, I know we do this all the time, but I think as a country, there has to be a real conversation about the lip service conservatives are doing towards caring about families and family units versus the actions that they're taking that are directly causing harm to black and brown bodies, to families and family units. Yeah, that's kind of the hypocrisy of all this. You have a governor who in their own backyard has a massive infrastructure crisis and then is openly against actually receiving funds to solve that. It doesn't matter if he's 100% focused on family units. Even family units won't survive without clean water. (laughs) It's basic needs. You do it for your people. And like, like I know a lot of this is just politics, but like you, you're playing politics with people's lives. And like, that's what is so sickening about this case. I don't know what it'll take for people to people in positions of power to care about the people that they represent. I mean, I think it just goes to show why the argument to vote is so important. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I know we do this every episode, but I mean, can you believe the shit that's going on in America? Like I don't, it's hard for me to fathom why, why people act like this. And like, I don't know. It's just kind of like, I've thought about in the past, like myself, like running for office and whatnot. And like, I know things can be a little bit more complicated than it seems to outside observers, but like your job should be about, should be about doing the right thing for the people that you represent. And like doing the right thing here is, isn't criticizing an infrastructure plan that's going to help your people. It's helping your people even before you get the money from the federal government to do it. And none of that has happened to Jackson and look where we are. But it's also just that it's also um, pulling that curtain back and helping everyday Americans understand the importance of these federal dollars, right? Like Idaho, as an example, lacks almost every system necessary to sustain a, a healthy family unit, if you will. I'll keep playing off of this conservative point. There are no state dollars towards childcare. There are very limited dollars towards um, housing assistance, towards healthcare. There's no behavioral health system. All of that is being propped up by the fact that the federal government has grants that are given to states to build these systems. It's the same issue in, in Mississippi. You have a state that has low outcomes when it comes to education, has um, one of the highest eviction rates currently with what 155 eviction filings every day at a rate of 14.7%, more than double the national average. You have all of these pieces and components that are inherent to the need for any conservative, in my personal opinion, to recognize the importance of working with the federal government to ensure that people are able to exist in the state that they live or the place that they live. And I think what's 
truly terrifying about this story is for years, individuals have been highlighting the water system in Jackson was not sufficient. What's unfortunate is where in Flint, you can pinpoint and say it was more of a um, man-made error. They were built with lead pipes. In Jackson, you have the environment rapidly changing and directly impacting the the system that they have been warning for years could inevitably fail. There was no time. There was no ability for a governmental entity to come in and plan how they could fix it over 10 years because immense flooding raced or rushed that um, clock. The and the EPA is actually um, has announced that it will be leading an investigation into what led up to the water crisis and this uh, kind of behind the scenes of what the decisions were made uh, in helping residents out and uh, just the neglect overall of the water system. You know, like, I don't know. The governor has touted in the past how Mississippi won't take these types of liberal handouts when it comes to anything and playing off the same theme that you are, Terrell, like, Man, people can't work if they don't have clean water. Like you stand for all these conservative values, but you won't even give the people the resources to actually do it. Sound familiar? <laughs> I, Whatever do you mean? I I look, I I don't know what's gonna come out of this investigation. Um, hopefully it's good stuff. But in the meantime, like just so everyone knows, like Jackson, Mississippi has water running again, but they're still under a boil water, water advisory. advisory. Yeah. Like it's not safe to drink without boiling it still. And they've been under several of those just in the last two years. And nobody's fixing, nobody's fixing the water treatment system. Like in the, in Jackson, the city obviously like wants to, but they don't have the money to do it. And like, just, I guess what I'm saying is like, don't forget about this. This is still happening. Jackson's not necessarily in a better place, even though it's out of the news. Um, until it gets fixed, we need to really like remember that this is something that's happening in America. This is still happening in America. We're in the freaking 21st century, and America is always touted as the best country in the world, but it's hard to live up to that kind of ideal when. We're not even giving people basic needs to live. Yeah. And just to give a, a number to that too, because I I always appreciate when we have these conversations and when we're able to share our insights and share our perspective. But I do think sometimes when you come at it as a philosophy minor from a phil- <laughs> philosophical perspective. Get that shit out of here. <laughs> from a philosophical perspective, you can kind of get lost on the true impact, especially if you're not following the story. It's estimated that over 150,000 people are without safe and reliable drinking water in Jackson, Mississippi. This is impacting pregnant women. This is impacting young children. The magnitude of this crisis cannot be understated. And I, I challenge all of our listeners to check out our bio and connect with an organization called Cooperation Jackson. They've kind of been at the forefront of leading um, in building a solidarity around the economy in Jackson. But 
but specifically to this crisis, they've been leading the effort to ensure that individuals have safe drinking water. Um, and a link will be included in our bio if you want to donate, connect with, or learn more about how to support Jackson at this time. And we'll be right back. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at dangerously underscore likely or email us at dangerously likely at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening for notifications of our new episodes. Even drop us a couple comments um, or ratings so we know how we're doing. So since I missed last week, I'm not even going to ask you to take us on a tangent. I'm just going to vent about all the happenings in the world that I think you might want to tag along on or honestly, you just get to listen to me talk for a little bit. And I'm sure our listeners miss me too. But I do want you to ask <laughs> me because like, that just okay, take us happy. on a tangent. I didn't think you would ever ask. Uh, <laughs> I didn't say that as a question. <laughs> um, let's see, where do we start? I guess the first piece of tangent is the queen died on Thursday. Yeah. Um, that's kind of weird to think about as a context for our listeners. The reason I was out last week was due to some work meetings that I had in Washington, DC. And actually thank you, Torrance, because he's the one who told me, um, I had just finished a meeting with a representative and was walking out feeling really successful and, and happy about how the meeting went only to look down at my phone and see Torrance say the queen is dead as I look up and see that the flags are being lowered or were lowered to half staff at that point, um, which is a surreal and just bizarre feeling to like know that something very political has happened. But the reason I want to get on a tangent about this is per usual, um, no one knows how to act right. And there have just been a lot of conversations about the fact that Speaker Pelosi decided to lower the flags to have mass um, at the Capitol that the president came out and ordered that the flags be lowered as if Queen Elizabeth was not a major political figure across the globe. The fact that so many Americans are quick to jump to, well, our founders fought a war for this. We don't have to care the fact that we're jumping into this new, this lack of nuance because she was the sovereign of the UK. She is now the one who has to carry the burden of the actions of the UK as if she didn't oversee a bunch of male prime ministers who decided on certain colonial actions because she genuinely is just a figurehead. I, I don't know, Caleb. It just really frustrated me, I guess is the best word I can, I can think of. Because once again, we saw misogyny take its normal form of here's a woman who has served for 70 years, who had a pre- pretty unproblematic life. I can't even say it with a straight face, I guess. And here we all are crediting her for the decisions of Winston Churchill, of Margaret Thatcher, as if the sovereign in the UK has this huge authority or ability. Well, before I like go into the tangent portion of this, like 
I have a feeling that we'll probably talk about like we'll probably talk about this a little bit more in depth with Torrance at some point. More than likely. I imagine. Dangerously um, likely, some might say. <laughs> and I'll probably say something similar uh, then that I am now. I think Queen Elizabeth has been this like, at least to me, has been kind of this like larger than life figure that has like literally always existed in our lives. Mm-hmm. And when I like was talking about it with my mom, I was like, wait, like, she's always existed in your life too. Like none of us have ever lived a life without her as queen. There was a weird staff out of 10 individuals who are currently living have only known her as queen. Yeah. Nine out of 10, which is insane. She's met 30% of the United States presidents. (laughs) That's so weird. 30% (laughs) and only invited back one. Looking at you, Obama. (laughs) Look, you're not wrong. Look, I, I don't know what what to say about it was really interesting going on like social media that day because social media was just like making like a bunch of jokes and I don't know. Social media was a cluster. Yeah, social media was a lot. And like, look, like I'm not going to sit here and say that the queen wasn't like at the top of institutions in a country that has been very problematic. Yeah. And that's been recent too. Like I... I'm not going to sit here and say that. And even though she doesn't have any power, could there have been stuff that has, that went differently? Could she have spoken up? Uh, maybe. Look, I just like, I think that people have such a, we have such like a narrow minded focus on how the world is. I think like there is, um, like, I think the queen, just like everybody else is probably a really nuanced person. And when you grow up in that lifestyle, I think it's a lot different. Like, I think really it, I think a lot of people's lives are determined by how they grow up. And this is what happened to her. She's been queen for 70 years. And wasn't supposed to be. I also think that is an important factor that gets left out of her uncle decided to abdicate the throne and give it to her father who died far sooner than most had expected. And not only did she not expect to be queen when she became queen, she never expected to be in that close to the line of succession. It was supposed to be her uncle's line who married a divorcee and decided to go a different route. So like, I think even to that, not crediting the fact that her in her twenties stepped up and had the decision of continuing to allow the UK, you continuing to allow the UK to be in the state of chaos after a king had abdicated and they lost a king who had served for, I don't actually know how long her father served for, but I know it wasn't as long as many had expected. Um, Like that is a testament to, uh, this is going to be a very controversial thing to say, but here we are. That would be a testament to like what AOC did in New York of recognizing, recognizing that, service was needed and the decision between not stepping up and stepping up were not options in the podcast. (laughs) Like I just, I do find frustration in that. And by no means am I trying to come off as like an apologist to the queen, but I, I just get very frustrated when we enjoy placing 2022 retrospective, uh, beliefs on something that happened during world war two. Look again, I'm not going to sit here and say that the queen was not the head of a very problematic institution. Yes. I'm not going to sit here and say that because she was. 
But at the same time, like, like there's more nuance than just that narrow-minded view. Exactly. There's a lot more nuance to that and maybe understanding that comes with it. And like, I think you can both have respect or ad- admiration for someone like her and also understand that she by, was not perfect. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Like, from where I'm looking at this, like, I've never paid attention too much to, like, the politics of the royal government and the... Um, They're actually pretty fascinating. It is kind of interesting. I've just never really paid too much attention to it. I've never... I've never... Um, like, I've always known the queen was there, but that was kind of about it. I've always known it was a thing. Uh, but, yeah, it's just, like, when I saw that that had happened, I was just, like... It didn't really feel real. No. It didn't really feel real. Like, I... Like I said before, I really felt like this queen was kind of like a larger than life figure that was just kind of like there, like in our lives. And literally no one I know has um, not lived in a world or has lived in a world that hasn't had the queen. So, I mean, in another moment of not caring about nuance, I guess, um, I have to just say that the immediate blatant racism that we're seeing. Actually, I can bridge these two that we're seeing from the UK and attacking Meghan Merkel and the release of the trailer for the little mermaid Megan. <laughs> and the release of the trailer that we're seeing for the little mermaid also needs to be spoken about because as individuals are calling out these institutions and applying these views or beliefs of, um, of present day, we're still missing the mark on the fact that Meghan Markle, who does not feel safe in the United Kingdom is still being vilified and people are not rightfully calling out the vilification. But then on the opposite side, we're making jokes about the fact that a lot of people are saying, well, the little mermaid doesn't even look like it's underwater as if they were supposed to shoot the movie under the, (laughs) like at the bottom of the ocean floor. Or like angry that if we're speaking scientifically, because she would be so far down in the water, there's no way that she would be black or dark skinned. Like, what the hell? I think when we wait, what? That doesn't make sense. It's there's not as much light in the water. Yeah, that's what they're saying. Because there's no light, she would she has to be white. Like, there's no way the Little Mermaid could be a darker complexion because there's no sun. It's a whole thing. Which what? But like, also, let's not forget, like, mermaids aren't to- real. <laughs> so Wait, what? Ah, <laughs> they're not. They're not. And it's just, I think so that dumb. I think that too plays into my frustration with everything around the queen. Is there are so many other problems happening right now that are being treated more like jokes and not being recognized as an issue because we're more quick to jump to historic individuals and be angry at them and i just as we have a whole conversation about environmental racism it starts at a very early seed of people telling a bunch of little black boys and little black girls that they can never be mermaids and then that plays into little white boys and little white girls viewing the difference it's it's a much bigger concept and bigger space than then I think we're giving credit to, but yeah, continue to make your jokes about 
how Princess Diana is beating the queen up um, before she heads downstairs. If you think she's heading downstairs or continue to make jokes about the fact that, yes, technically Prince Philip and Queen Elizabeth were cousins. Like, I think our priorities are just not the way that they should be. It's just so dumb. Oh, God. What are we doing? <laughs> it's the dumbest thing ever. Ugh. I don't have a tangent, Terrell. I, you weren't allowed to have one, remember? I know. I just got to talk for you, a little bit. You pointed at me, but like I... I don't know. Don't you have another one? Don't you want to talk about... No, I don't want to talk about him. Okay. <laughs> he doesn't deserve airspace. He's stupid and... What a bad time, I think. He also... What a uniquely terrible time to do that. So we're not talking around this for our listeners. Lindsey Graham recently <laughs> announced that he um, is bringing legislation to the Senate that would ban abortions after 15 weeks. Um, bad timing... He's calling for the unification of the Republican Party after literally a week ago, um, Minority Leader McConnell came out and said that the Republican Party is not trying to institute a federal ban. It It's a misread. It's a desperation. But like I shared with you and Torrance, um, I do think he saw what was happening in his own state legislature and saw a male go to town on a female who was just saying like, you have no right to tell me how to use a part of my body as a conservative, mind you. And I just, I do think that in Lindsey Graham's mind, the Republican party itself is splitting. Um, But the way to bring them together is not to find a, a loophole to abortion bans. You are now the party that does not believe women have right over their body. And that is what you have to sit in. I don't know what he thinks is going to happen here. I mean, Democrats aren't even going to bring it to the floor, so it doesn't matter. I mean, he, he actually cited that in like, as, as this was like some attempt to get everyone to work together. No. Like the reason why it's not coming to the floor for the Democrats is because Republicans aren't helping. Like it's same as always. So where are you? Where are you, Lindsay? Where are you? God damn it. Look. What are you... I'm going to say this again. What a uniquely terrible time when you have literally millions of people registering to vote for the first time ever because of the Dobbs decision and you're going to say, okay, well, we still need a ban, but maybe if I make it a little like longer before it's banned, it'll work. What a dumbass, honestly. I hope this hurts Republicans more. Like, honestly. Probably. Uh, but like, on, what, are you, what are you thinking? I don't know. It's just so out of touch. It's just so out of touch, Terrell. Okay, that's it. <laughs> I mean, have you seen the conservatives lately? Like that is so that is what they are. They are out of touch. They are fearful of the options. I mean, me, I don't want to get into this tangent, but now here we are. It just came out that there's a potential that the conservatives aren't even going to allow the codification of um, equal marriage to happen. Like, I think it's wildly insane that we now have a party that is considered a majority that will take an entire bill when literally one of their most prominent members of the party who sits on the Supreme Court is a part of an interracial marriage. This bill would protect that. This bill would ensure that I, a great example, 
Mitch McConnell, who I know is married to a female that is not of the same faith as him, this bill would protect that. But because it has a one line that ensures a man and a man or a woman and a woman or insert whatever gender identity you want here can marry someone else, the Republican Party is willing to tank the entire bill, not go to the negotiation table to have it removed, not have any conversations of what they feel comfortable with. They will tank the entire bill because in their mind, that is their winning strategy. And it is concerning that we still recognize that as a majority party. Yeah. I mean, they're winning. They think their winning strategy is the suppression of others. It didn't work in the sixties. It probably won't work now, but yeah. Yeah. But we got to fight. We got to vote for the right people. We got to fight. But anyways, I think that's our show for today. What do you think? I think so. I'm Caleb Smith. I'm Terrell Couch. And we're dangerously likely to see you next week.